This is Robin Harford from eatweeds.co.uk and foragingcourses.com. I'm up here in Bristol with the Herbalists Without Borders, or at least a portion of them. Most probably (laughs) 2%, I would think. Maybe 5 So, folks, could you just introduce yourselves? I'm Bex Griffiths. And I'm Anwen Jones. And And we're both herbalists. Uh, We run Rhizome Community Herbal Clinic in Bristol. Uh, which is run a clinic and do lots of teaching together, and we are part of setting up Herbalists Without Borders Bristol. Okay, so what's your, just to get everyone in the flow, what's your background? I mean, are you trained or are you just community herbalists with no no official training? So we're both medical herbalists. Um, We did our training in London, um, and um, then we, since qualifying... um, we set up this clinic in, well, Beck set up the clinic in Bristol and then I came and joined her when I finished my training. Um, so we are, we are trained, but we've been working in the field of um, environmental politics and health justice and been interested in all those kind of topics for years and years and that's how we originally met. And you're trained? Well, I'm a medical herbalist too. Um, and I set up, maybe I qualified eight years ago. Um, I went to... Uh, work in New Orleans for a year at Common Ground Health Clinic, which is probably the only primary healthcare clinic there is that was combining um, the ideas of why people are sick um, and what medicine is appropriate um, as alongside giving herbs and medication. And that, I mean, I was already politicised before I went there, but it was a real uh, introduction into how it, it can actually happen and work. Great, because I think I met you both at the first Radical Herbalism gathering where I was jumping for joy because you were asking questions that went beyond making a face pack (laughs) and getting to Mm. some really nitty-gritty stuff. And that's that's not always the case within the herbal community as far as what I know about it. So could you talk more about community herbalism and social justice? You know, how does herbal medicine fit within social and political contexts? I think those were the questions that we had always asked from um, when we were uh, working in, when we were um, political activists and doing things in the environmental politics world. And then when we came to herbal medicine, we obviously brought some of those ideas of social, social and environmental justice with us to herbal medicine. And we've always questioning that idea of why are people ill and it's not just as simple as things people need to do as individuals for their own health but things that people need to do society-wide to improve everybody's health for example it's much harder to have optimal health or look after yourselves when people are in poverty or when people have bad housing live in damp conditions and as Bex was saying, it's you're looking at look, looking at the reasons why people are ill, and what's the main things that are impacting a particular community. That's got to come as important to that community as which plants that they can use to improve their health. I think it was just connecting everything together, um, thinking about um, the sustainability of medicine, and the sustainability of industrial medicine, and how herbal medicine can possibly if done well create a sustainable alternative or a lot or at least alongside conventional medicine um connecting um 
cultural appropriation and colonialism and land grabbing that's going on around the world and trying to think about how we can stand in solidarity with people who are fighting land struggles. Um, connecting, like, thinking about self-care and this, like, individualised way that we think about health. Like, quite often when people are sick, they start to look at themselves and, like, what have I done? And, like, the next kind of looking wider at, like, what's, what's going on in society, what's going on in our culture that could be causing all this ill health. For me, a really stark statistic is when we looked at life expectancy in Bristol and there's 10 years between the richest area of Bristol, which is Clifton, to one of the poorest areas of Bristol, which is Hartcliff. There's 10 years difference in life expectancy, which really shows... Wow, how, that's some, well, that's not amazing. That's frightening. That's horrifying. In a UK yeah. city that for 10 years, and that will be because of um, housing conditions, access to food... Um, education about how to look after yourself, ability to look after yourself. Um, so they're the, the issues that we really want to talk about uh, rather than just like, oh yeah, here's echinacea for a cold. Um, and we do love like the clinical side. We do love like using herbs to help with long-term conditions and acute herbal medicine. But we also want to talk about the root causes of ill health, which is health inequalities and the root causes of the ill health of like the world our environment and ecology. Sure. I think it's quite essential really as well when we're building relationships with plants and with the natural world and when we're teaching other people and bringing other people to those relationships that those relationships then have to be in the wider context and it's combining, you know, we've always had a passion for social politics and a passion for plants and medicine and bringing those two together just seemed natural to us really and, and also as Beck said about the you know the sustainability of medicine you know bringing though that has to come in with any relationship that people form with plants and alongside that is self-care because we used to being in political um, environments where it was all about the politics and not about the self-care which is why mm. I love herbal medicine because when it, I think it is the people's medicine the, it's so you know if you know how to identify, your local herbs, then they're free and you can go out and harvest them and make medicines and that can't, there can be nothing more accessible than herbal medicine like that. And this idea of looking after yourself, that's a revolutionary idea. We don't have to be martyrs to the cause. It's really important to know how to look after yourself. Um, so putting these two things together is, I think, one of the unique experiences that we've had organising the Radical Herb Gathering and something that we want to bring into everything that we do. And that's with the Radical Herb Gathering. When we first organised it five years ago, we really literally had no idea what the response would be. We thought maybe it would be ten of us in a field. We didn't um, think anyone would come. Especially as, like, during our herbal training, there was a lot... There was kind of a silence around talking about health inequalities and why people are sick. And when I did try to talk about it, I really didn't get much response from, from people. So when I first... Well, I knew I went before and then first met other herbalists um, interested um, who came together to organise it. We really had no idea. And it's like very quickly we got sold out, 150 people. And now like the fifth year has been 350 people. Wow. Big waiting list. There's one in Ireland next year. There was one in Scotland last year. There's been one in Germany last year. So it's kind of spreading this idea of talking about health. I mean, and it, it should be. It's a, a normal thing to talk about why people are sick. Like, doctors talk about it. There's loads of different organisations um, that talk about 
why people are sick and health inequalities with medicine. It's just not, had not really come to the herbal medicine world in this country. I think maybe because um, when people look at alternative medicine, a lot of it came, comes from um, a, um, this idea of self-help and self-care, which you know is something that we're really interested in, but that can it can become quite individualised, very concerned with your own op- optimal health um, and which particular herbs or plants or superfoods or lifestyle changes that you can do to improve your health. And it does, you know, it beca- it's, again, it's a symptom of that individualised culture. And, and I think mo- you know, so many herbalists that have come to these gatherings and people interested in herbal medicine don't have that perspective and they do see those wider community links. But for some reason... we'd never got together and had those conversations in public so it was a real amazing revelation to us that so many people wanted to have that conversation and I also think it sparked lots of people to think to Mm. think of those things that hadn't before lots of projects to come about that weren't didn't exist before I think the fact that that you you know there's there's other micro rad gatherings going on. I mean that speaks volumes. Just yeah, that there's, there's organizing. grassroots, and therefore that's a yeah. a craving for a need that people, people yeah people being inspired by others other people's ideas and then taking that inspiration back to their communities and doing something similar that's been inspired by that. And we've been really inspired by hearing about other projects that people have set up as as a result of the kind of coming together at the Radical Herb Gathering. So how does, do you find, um, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll get onto it, but uh, well, we're going to talk for hours, aren't we? I can tell. <laughs> it's one of these ones. Often things start and oftentimes certain key people, even if they don't take a, a leadership role necessarily, are kind of the prime movers within a community organisation. Do you find momentum dies? How is momentum maintained? I think it's important to keep inspiring others so that you keep getting new people involved and staying open um, as, as groups or, or as ideas, um, which has been important in the Herbalist Without Borders group. I think some, some of the workshops we've had showcasing different projects around the UK and a lot of those are like really grassroots, really not by um, not run by medical herbalists. So they're very accessible. And I think that's been kind of a momentum. People are thinking, people are seeing like, oh, I can do this. This isn't this like, I don't need this qualification. I don't need all these like, all this knowledge necessarily. I can start something really simple. And that's like every year we try to have this like showcasing of... Um, of community projects to inspire people. We're in it for the long term, so momentum will always be up and down. Um, but we keep our momentum up partly by having like an amazing collective. We really enjoy it and keep being inspired by it. And then that allows us to keep on putting on the gathering, which then helps other people to keep inspiring and they go off back to their places and the and it steamrolls. But I think if you stop enjoying what you do, then the momentum goes. Yeah, sure. Especially in this culture, there's a lot of emphasis on doing, and doing creates worth and self-worth. Um, and I, I had some Greek friends who always taught me, who laughed at us for this, and who didn't think doing gave you worth. And it was really good for me to have these people around me, because that made me, made me stop. <laughs> so um, in my 20s, like, I, run like, I ran like crazy, and I did feel burnt out. Um, so I think it's really important to, again, about self-care. Yeah. And 
And know you're in it for the long run. Yeah. The long haul. And I guess as herbalists, that's what we're trying to teach others. So we're also trying our best to take a leaf out of our own book. Um, but it, it's something I see herbalists doing as well, is kind of working themselves too hard and not always um, taking the medicines that they advise other people. Herbalists Without Borders, you work with and help who? Our aim is to give free herbal medicine to any migrant who would like it. So we don't differentiate necessarily between an asylum seeker, failed asylum seeker, asylum seeker refugee, migrant. Um, we, so that was kind of our original aim, was to give free herbal medicine. And to those most in need. That's what we're trying to identify in that process. It's not necessarily what category people are in, but who, who needs us. So can they not get it off the state? Anyone can access the GP or A&E, regardless of their um, legal status. Um, they're finding that elite... So if you are an asylum seeker within the system, you can access primary and secondary health care. So what's primary? So primary health care is the GP or A&E. Right. Secondary health care is any referrals. Okay. Beyond that. So, so like an operation or a hospital visit or okay. a consultant. So if you're an asylum seeker in the system, you are able to access primary and secondary healthcare. If you're a failed asylum seeker or completely legal and not going through the asylum process, then you have access to a doctor, a GP or an A or AME, but no secondary healthcare. Okay. So say if you found a lump in your breast, you could go to the hospital, they tell you you have a lump in breast it lump in your breast, but you wouldn't be referred to get um, a mammogram or any secondary care. So they're finding that um, at least a fifth of asylum seekers are being refused treatment when they should actually have treatment. So there's so much confusion around who can access and who can't access healthcare, and I think this is probably deliberate as well. Um, the Immigration Act came in last year, which was like the legal framework for who can and can't, well, for lots of things, but part in, in part of it is who can and can't access healthcare. And people are confused, which is why a fifth of people are being refused treatment. Um, they found that about 11% of people don't access treatment because they're scared of being arrested. Uh, so there's two organisations that are doing a lot of work around this called um, Doctors of the World and Docs Not Cops. And I've, the Docs Not Cops is in response to the fact that um, lots of GP surgeries and healthcare providers were being asked to assess people's immigration status and ask for passports and ID and papers of people when they accessed healthcare. And so a lot of doctors are outraged and not wanting to be put in that position because it's confusing for the, for the provider to know who they can and can't treat and it's really confusing for people to know whether they... Whether, whether it's safe for them to go and, and see a doctor. It sounds like a doctor's becoming an immigration officer. Well, that, Hence the name, Ducks Not Cops. Yeah. And a lot of doctors are refusing to do that. A lot of midwives are refusing to do that. And actually, there's um, in Bristol, there's a, one of the migrant support projects, Bristol Refugee Rights, has a day on December the 9th um, where they're having a workshop about medical justice and lots of professionals are coming to talk about how they're trying to push back the legislation and not do what the government's asking. So it's not like the doctors have taken that on at all, um, which is good. So the people can access primary health care, but we're, we are herbalists, so we believe in the power of herbal medicine. 
And it's not just like, oh, they can get medication. Some people can get medication um, and drugs, but we're saying we think herbal medicines beyond even just treating illnesses. So the medicines we give out are things like herbal chest syrups and um, chest rubs, but also like we have one particularly around well-being, like helping people deal with stress without like medicating, but enhancing um, their ability to withstand stress and build resilience. Um, so it's, so we think like herbal medicine can run, run alongside conventional medicine. It's not an either or, and no, it's not sure. thinking that conventional yeah. medicine is the only answer, particularly what we see um, and what we're being asked to support, which is like trauma, sleep problems, sure. and digestive problems. And actually conventional medicine has not got... Um, not got a great deal to offer in those, in those areas. No. And... You know, but it is we've come into that context as herbalists, where healthcare is. Um, you know, these these are people who are sometimes marginalised from healthcare, but they're certainly not the kind of people who would be able to normally access something like a herbalist. Um, and ideally, we would be working alongside all the medical services, but we're also coming in knowing that those medical services are under threat. Um, they're underfunded. And they're also, you know, it's not clear whether in the long term um, people in the asylum process will have as, as easy an access to all of that as they do now. Mm. And that, that even when they do, they are legally allowed to have access, a fifth of them are being refused treatment anyway. And a lot of asylum seekers, um, and I don't know the percentage, but a lot of asylum seekers are charged um, wrongly charged after they've had treatment and I was just talking to a friend of mine um, who works at a migrant support project he's saying that this happens a lot with pregnant women because all pregnant women are allowed access to a midwife but um, people who have failed asylum status have been charged afterwards um, so, which can be really problematic and which will stop people accessing emergency health care sure so why asylum seekers so why, why asylum seekers over anyone else? Why, why give them preferential treatment? So we're looking at who are the most vulnerable people in our society. Yeah. Um, and we, as a human, pers- a human being, I think it's really important that we embrace supporting the vulnerable people in our society. We don't have a society unless we have the capacity to look after the people who are the most vulnerable and the most depressed. And for us, this is really important. So there's, there's so many groups we could and would want to offer free herbal health care. So um, homeless people, people with mental health problems. We really want to go into uh, women's refuges eventually. Um, we have actually um, had a contact with a, a women's charity who support women who've been trafficked. And that's um, another group of people who we've been, um, yeah, we've done some support work with. So we chose them because especially at the time there's like all these um all the people in calais and dunkirk um huge like bombing in syria um lots of people fleeing i mean most people who leave are fleeing um war or destitution they're fleeing for a better life so lots of people coming lots of people we see are from syria afghanistan iraq places that have had like recent wars and are really vulnerable with very little resources in this country. So we start we so we thought about starting with asylum seekers, but 
who knows where this could go. We have talked about um, possibly in the future looking at going to homeless projects and looking at going to a women's refuge. There's, um, there's a project in Dublin which is set up by a friend of ours um, going taking herbal medicine out onto the streets to distribute amongst the homeless and that's something that we've been quite inspired by is that the Dublin Herb Bike, I think it's called, they go out with a bicycle um, um, and with a dispensary that's that kind of comes out off the bicycle um, and those kind of projects are something that we are very keen on, on, on supporting and hopefully we will have the capacity at some point to start something similar here. I remember speaking to one asylum seeker and I told her that I was from Wales and she said um, her only experience of Wales was going to the immigration office in Newport which has got a really terrible, terrible reputation for being one of the worst places to, to go to with the least, the least compassionate staff and I was just so embarrassed, she was like Wales, oh yeah, that's the bit that doesn't want us. I was so embarrassed and so upset and, and I want to show all those people that we have compassion for them and when they come destitute and struggling in our cities that we want to you know be there and show them a, a friendly face and luckily we live in a city like Bristol which has quite a lot of projects where people can go and feel welcomed but we definitely want to be part of that welcome and that compassion especially when we live somewhere where our governments are quite complicit yeah. in the world, you know, in the situation in the world that's causing a lot of these wars, that's causing the situations that, that mean that people need to flee. Our colonial history means that people have links over here that, that you know, they only have those because of the way that our governments have acted in the world. And so, you know, we want to be the people that, that will show compassion. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, but I mean, borders are really political. Who gets to move where? Like, money can move anywhere, yeah. and rich people can move anywhere. So it's not just about borders and migration, it's like the politics of who and yeah. what. Of money and capital. And I think <clears throat> what a lot of a lot of folk might not know is that, you know, the, you know, the wounds are often in the inside, aren't they? It's the trauma, it's the, yeah. the exactly. PTSD, yeah, it's yeah. The, the chaos, yeah, yeah, the internal chaos, that although you might see someone who's very calm walking down the street who's a refugee that inside the, yeah. the wounds are raw and we don't know seeping what and open yeah. yeah which are just continually exacerbated by our asylum process absolutely which yeah. is really degrading yeah. um, process for people to go through how many migrants refugees asylum seekers do you see well, we've got two parts of the project um we've got a drop-in section which is um which I mean, it's, it's all very new. We're, all, we're just building this project. But since um, the summer of this year, we've been visiting two different um, migrant projects. Um, so twice a month, we will go to a different uh, hospitality project and set up, um, set up a stall. And that's our kind of drop-in sessions where we see where people will just come up to the stall and they'll be able to um, access the different medicines that we've made, which are... Um, sort of quite generic, safe things that we can give out, um, a bit like over-the-counter kind of things. We've got um, things for... Uh, we've got ointments for sore joints. Lots, lots of people have got various different aches and pains. We've got things for to helping build, build people's immunity, cough syrups, chest rubs, um, stress. Tea, digestive yeah. tea. And then we're just continuously expanding this um, in response to what we're being asked for. And that's, that's, that's our first port of call of meeting people. 
and then there's a smaller group of us so that's a big quite a big group of volunteers who are doing that and then we've got a smaller group of us who are um, clinical herbalists who then will be able to take people as referrals into our clinics so if we encounter somebody in one of those projects who needs more help um, then at the moment we're we're able to we're able to take a smaller number then of people to see us one-to-one clinically um, at the moment Bex and I support two people at a time and we have that as a kind of rolling process once we've supported somebody for a little while then we could take on somebody new again and there are other herbalists within yeah. Bristol who are seeing other yeah, yeah. and they're start, everyone's starting yeah. so it's again it's as six said. Of us. so we started only over a year ago and we started very slowly building up from the from the the bottom building a good foundation so we didn't go way ahead of ourselves with too much momentum and not enough people so we just met all last winter and made medicines together and then once we and we kind of discussed like how we'd like sort out the cart and how we'd like organize it and this just took some time we got to know each other and we had different people everyone's obviously a volunteer but different people came and we started to get a solid group and then we approached the projects once we knew what we could offer um, so we approached two, well, we approached a few projects um, and we started, decided to start with two and hopefully we'll expand because there's a particular women's project that we'd like to go to as well. Um, but we visit Bristol Hospitality Network, which is a network of people who have spare rooms um, who offer them to long term to asylum seekers. So they have a drop in and we visit that once a month and then there's another organisation organization called borderlands which we also it's just a kind of support drop in and we visit them once a month and they have other health providers that come um they have an osteopath that comes and visits there um there's a gp from a um a gp service in bristol uh, that's open particularly to asylum seekers so it feels like it's nice to fit in as part of that as herbalists and bringing bringing herbal medicine into that environment so over the last few months we've vis- been visiting those projects and from that we've been getting referrals to see people in our private clinic so what happens when someone of a muslim faith i mean they don't drink alcohol do they muslim people mm-hmm. so no. you know i don't drink alcohol and i have to say it is it's one of my beefs that there's not enough discussion about how do we make medicines without yeah. alcohol. And it's it's difficult. It was a challenge for us initially because we um, we use a lot of tinctures in our clinics because, for lots of reasons because they're very convenient medicines, they're very strong um, medicines that have a very long shelf life. They're quite easy to work with and that's what we have trained with using. Um, but it's not, it's not the only thing we use and we have just had to expand our um, our emphasis a little bit and use the other medicines that are not alcohol based that we have always used but just expand our range really so actually when we go in with the cart we don't have any tinctures or alcohol based medicine we have two syrups and a vinegar a fire cider vinegar which we is for the immunity and then we're going to expand more on the vinegars and we're going to expand more on the glycerates not everyone is Muslim that we see, so some people don't actually mind about tinctures. So we're thinking we might actually bring in some tincture-based mm. um, mm. medicines into the into the projects. Yeah, because it's an assumption, isn't it, that, oh, you yeah, talk asylum yeah. seekers, there must all be Muslims. Yeah, it's yeah, like, no, exactly, yeah. And not. also people can differentiate between whether the alcohol is um, made rec- for recreational use 
or medicinal yeah, use. Yeah, there's and, different rules, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. so some Muslims we've treated um, within our private clinics um, are happy to make the differentiation and some some Muslims that we've seen aren't. Sure. So it's, again, not making the assumption. Yeah. But we are going to do a lot more vinegars, a lot more oxymels and a lot more glycerates. So, ox- so to explain to people who don't know, an oxymel... is just a combination of honey and vinegar. So it makes it more palatable. Yeah. Um, and the syrups, we're, we are going to do less syrups, I think, because we're aware that quite a lot of people... Or there is a high percentage of people with diabetes right. who want to not have syrups as our only... Sure. Yeah. yeah, and giving out a lot of sugar yeah. sometimes does feel a bit counterintuitive when we're... Yeah, when we're, especially when people are struggling with eating healthily and eating well. Yeah. So when I give syrups, you know, cough syrups to people, usually in my clinic, it's in the context of the rest of their diet being being good. So we're experimenting with different things to use. We've been using glycerin, which is something that is that tastes sweet, but it doesn't affect people's blood sugar in and the same way. That's vegetarian, isn't it? Is it vegetable? It is vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. It comes from um, it's the sugar part of a fat molecule, so it's made from vegetable fat. But it is something that is made in a lab with a process. It's not a natural substance. So it's again, it has other problems. Um, but at the moment, I think it's much better for people's health than sugar. Mm. So that's something we're expanding into using. But yeah, we're kind of, we're, you know, we're looking at experimenting. Um, I've been giving people teas as well, dried herbs. But again, that's a bit difficult when people don't have secure housing. So they may maybe don't have teapots and kettles in the same and access to hot water, which you know we seem as something quite easy, but it's not easy for everybody. No, sure. Plus, the, the ease of taking the medicine is really important yeah. because so many people are in precarious situations um, that aren't um, long term. Yeah. So that's important. I've been giving capsules to some people. Capsules are quite expensive for us to fund us because all our medicines, we're f- all the all our fundraising is going into things like, you know, making the medicines and providing the herbs. We're, we're expanding the number of herbs that we're foraging ourselves, that we're getting people to grow for us, and that's fantastic. But we will still always have to buy supplies, and capsules is a way to eat up those supplies really quickly. Yeah, sure. So talking, you say funding, so you've got a fundraiser coming up, haven't you? A crowdfunder. We have. So we have been given bits of funding from a few different organisations, which we've pretty much nearly finished. Um, so we've got this crowdfunder coming up. So that'll be the second week of November. Okay. And we are, instead of the last crowdfunder, which is just asking for donations, we're putting up prizes. Different people have um, offered uh, places on their workshops, on their foraging walks... Um, people are donating baskets, soaps. We've got amazing, um, about 40 bars of soaps that someone's actually printed Herbalist Without Borders wrapped around it. We're printing Beautiful bags. Beautiful handmade soaps. Um, so lots of different things that you could bid on. We are also doing a calendar. So we're making a lino cut calendar of all the different months. We'll have a different herb. Um, Beautiful, beautiful prints of the herbs. And they're made by Imani and Rosanna from Kato Press, which is local to us. And I had a look at them yesterday. I have to say, I was really gorgeous, talking about really, Bloom, yeah. William Morris and to have nothing in your house that's not beautiful or useful. It's kind of like right up there <laughs> yeah, with it. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful and useful. That's a good description of it. 
And then with that, we on eight on each month, we're going to list all the herbs that you can harvest during that month. And then we'll do an introduction of how to harvest herbs, how to dry them, how to store them, and how to contribute them to Herbless Without Borders. Because we're trying to make this circle of like people growing herbs for us or people harvesting herbs for us, people making medicines together or for us, and then people who come into the clinic and the projects with us. So it's like you could be part of Herbless Without Borders in many different ways. Um, so this calendar is to encourage people to harvest herbs and to harvest them. And also, you know, pay some of that back to Herbless Without Borders. So basically it's supporting Herbless Without yeah. Borders. So you can support no. the project just by buying the calendar. Sure. But then also it'll give you the information of what to make for us and... Um, and what to, when to harvest things, and, and hopefully we'll get some herbs donated that way to us. So how long is the crowdfunding going to last? Uh, it's going to last for a month. Great. OK, well, that, that's really cool. And where do people find out about all this? So we have a website, which is bristolhwb.org. So the crowdfunder will be on there, and the, um, the calendars, and also we're putting the prints on bags as well. Um, so you can access all that from our website and uh, the website has everything to do with um, how to get involved how to donate any herbs and kind of our, more about our background so there's also goodies being offered obviously let's crowdfund so tr- yeah, you know traditionally there's prizes. all these there's all these freebies depending on how much you want to donate that you're going to get i am actually gifting away um some so the equivalent of money basically money vouchers gift vouchers for for whoever wants to donate so if you can actually go over to the herbalist without borders bristol website link is in the show notes of this episode or say it again it's bristolhwb.org great and you'll be able to get all the information there please give your support it's a really important side of herbal medicine um like i say this these subjects take plant medicine herbal medicine community beyond uh, let's make pretty face packs with cucumber or whatever people do with them do asylum seekers i mean they come from cultures that in my kind of perception um they already have herbal medicine traditions so do they do they come like knowing loads of stuff about plant medicines or is is that just purely a a European fantasy from a white man? No, I think it has been our experience that people have been very open to us just appearing in in these projects with with our herbal medicines because they're used to using herbs themselves. And in fact, a lot of the volunteers in the project were were kind of saying to us things at the beginning like um, people might be a little bit suspicious of you to begin with or people might not come over, they might not really understand what you're offering to start with so it might take a while to kind of win people's trust. But actually the first twice, the first two times we appeared in these projects we were just, we were overrun, we ran out of everything. Yeah, everything just everything away. flew off the shelves. Wow. Because it was, it was familiar to people and they may not have been familiar. Sorry, let me just pick you up there. Flew off the shelves in my head says you were billing everyone for no, them. Oh, so they were yeah, everything yeah, yeah. to yeah, make exactly, this really yeah, clear. Yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. from Herbless Without Borders it's Bristol free. is free exactly, yes. to the asylum yeah. seekers, yeah. migrants, refugees. Yes. Yeah. So we yeah we're giving out these these different things and and the take up was um, was enthusiastic. Yeah. Because people were familiar with using herbs 
in there. They might not have known the exact plants that we used, but it's also something that we want to um, do for people as well as, as they're coming to somewhere new. We want to familiarise them with the plants that grow here. So we had information about all the different plants that we were using. So people come to us with all sto- all sorts of stories of how they used herbs in different countries. Um, there was a lot of enthusiasm, lots of stories, um, and people want to be involved. So that's kind of our future. That's really good because it, it part of the of my my passion. I mean, I'm part of an organisation in the state called Plants and Healers International, which is where we're networking plants and healers and the plant knowledge cross-culturally that there's a sharing that goes on my again my head's going off going well yeah that was i asked that question and in the back of my head was well that's a bloody stupid question because i know they come from people come from cultures that use a lot of plant medicine so why would it be alien to Mm. them before we went in there before we went into the projects we got everyone involved in our project to get some training we got someone from um a local migrant support project alongside um a second generation Iranian woman who also works for one of the, a migrant support project and she gave us some insight into um, the use of herbs in Iran and the use of herbs of with Iranian people in the UK um, and she's saying that actually a lot of people in Iran now because they don't have access to um, to medicines as much um, are more becoming more familiar with herbs so I think it was a skip generation like there was in this country in some ways of like people not using any plant medicine and now a revival of people using plant medicine and she and we need to follow up with this because her grandma who is in the UK um has lots of um knowledge of plants and plant use and I remember her story the last story um that she gave us was her grandma um and it was a stillbirth wasn't it and they put the the baby um, the baby's like not breathing and they put the baby in um, a whole lot of hay and just like put all this heat and massage the baby and the baby revived within 30 minutes but then she said like okay you need to meet my grandma because we have lots more stories to tell you um, so that's something we should follow up on and the, and the exciting thing about this um, this project is that we could meet other people and they could share their knowledge and yeah. it could be way more like um, a more collaborative reciprocal. Yeah. reciprocal and yeah. collaborative project I we, think that's we'd exciting we'd love to involve people in making the in making the medicines and that is that's definitely where we're going that's our one of our next steps I mean that's empowering isn't it yeah it's exactly. not like oh come to us nice Bristol herbalist and, exactly. and get yeah. medicines for charity, free yeah. charity it, it yeah. you know herbalist without boys is a is a concept that goes way beyond the charity yeah. racket. Yeah, solidarity, not chari- yeah. charity. That's yes. The, that's the slogan. That's um, There's a group in London that have making T-shirts that say that. Solidarity, yeah. not charity. Yeah. And that's nice. like a finally, you know, next, when we're a bit more established, next spring and summer we want to do herb walks and show people like the local free herbs that they could be harvesting and making their own medicines from. So that's like definitely the plan for next year. If there were people in other cities who wanted to set up a similar structure, where would they come to? So just to you? Well, there's a couple of different projects around the UK. There's our project, um, and, and we've just been explaining the way, the way ours works. There's yeah. also a project in Glasgow that works in a slightly different way. Um, so that would be another blueprint that people might, you know, people can look at both projects and see 
which way of working they prefer. The, the Glasgow Clinic has, um, once a month, they have a physical location, they have a clinic where people come um, and they have um, and they can see a herbalist for, an, for a free appointment and that's, that's how that works. Rather than the project moves around, they have a location that people come to and they, have, um, and they only deal with herbs in teas. So people come along and they can make herbal tea there and then and they have a garden so they can pick things, make them into teas, um, get a consultation if they need a bit more help um, or they can just kind of socialise and talk about herbs and learn about herbs. I think they have classes as well that go on there. Um, and that's slightly different to the way we organise, but we are sharing ideas with them. So there's um, there's a Herbalist Without Borders UK website where you can read about, you can have a link to our project and the Glasgow project. So that's herbalistswithoutborders.co.uk. Yeah, all, all the links that we've discussed yeah. and organisations we've discussed there. in there yeah. will be in the show notes. Yeah, and the, the other project is um, Herbalists Going Out to Calais and Dunkirk to take medicines out to people there in the in the refugee camps and the way that you can get involved with those projects um, apart from you know actually going out there is that they're asking groups around the UK to make make thing make medicines up, up to their recipes so that they can then take those medicines out away with them so there's a couple of different things that you could do lots of different ways you could get involved and we are organising um, the Radical Herb Gatherings having a new form, a different form next year, where we'll come into, where we come into the cities and we'll have like days in different cities. We're organising one in Bristol, and one of the workshops will be um, Herbalist Without Borders and how to set up your own Herbalist Without Borders project. So that would be sometime next May or June. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's been a real pleasure getting you folks on because it's been Thank a while. You. And like I said at the beginning, you know, when Rad Herb was set up, it was just like, well, hey, finally, serious mm. stuff. Yeah, it really. With a light heart. It really sparked, <laughs> sparked a lot of things off for. It's been really exciting for us. Yeah. Thanks for coming to Bristol. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks pleasure. For wanting to know more. Yeah. <laughs>